Good afternoon and welcome to Nine Sub Series with Kevin, where we add value to people's lives happening every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday at 12 on ebizradio.com. You can catch the Lunchtime Series on all major podcast channels. And for our Lunchtime Marketing segment, proudly supported by Hollard Insurance, hashtag big ads for small businesses. As per usual, marketing and communi- communications expert, Craig Pagely. How are you doing, Craig? I'm well, and you, Kevin. Yeah. Good, good. How's the week been? How's the week treating you? <laughs> it's been busy. Um, yeah, it's 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 a constant push to make sure that the pipeline is filled for us to the end of the year because, you know, it happens in our part of the world. December shuts down. So, you know, we've got to stack the work to have the income in place. But, uh, yeah, lots of exciting stuff on, on, on the table. Fingers crossed. Fantastic. Craig, so um, reflecting, reflecting back on last week's conversation, um, I have to ma- admit that it took me some time to to comprehend the enormity of the impact that the COVID pandemic has had on businesses across the world, but specifically on those making up the beach classification, as as you mentioned, and namely bookings, entertainment, airlines, cruises, hotels. From, from what I recall, the beach stocks lost about uh, $332 billion in value in one year, Craig. It's astronomical. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, Kevin. In fact, it was it was even less than a year, to tell the truth. But uh, yeah. an, an incredibly sobering thought and, and realization when assessing the total negative impact that, that COVID has had on, on that particular sector and those businesses and and while it will make you know it, it it will take a huge amount of time for many of the the businesses to get back to where they were in in the beach classification um, there's definitely a strong recovery from from some of the larger businesses with the collective stock values from the 29 businesses that are listed on on the s p 500 growing 43.7% for the year March 11, 2020 to March 11, 2021. So, yeah, already you can see there's a big rebound. But you know what happens. The long-tail businesses are always the last ones to to get the benefit if any of them have survived at the end of the day. Yeah. But uh, uh, another, another sobering point here, though, is, and specifically the latter part of our conversation, is that worldwide ad spending for the 23 travel companies that were an- analyzed by Ad Age in their data center study, um, they dropped 60.2% in ad spend going through their books in 2020. Um, and that, that ad spend tracked closely with a 61.5% drop in revenue across the 23 companies reviewed. So for me, the sobering point and, and, and hopefully the positive aspect is if the direct correlation, there's almost a direct correlation of drop in revenue to ad spend. Yeah. If we're seeing the upward trajectory in that sector again, we're definitely going to see an increase in ad spend and hopefully to the same correlation back into the media agencies from, from that point of view. So, I mean, on that note, Craig, what are the key takeaway points from last week's conversation that you can share with the listeners? Kevin, yeah, I'd like to reference the key points from, from that interesting article we read, um, Changes in Consumption Patterns and Trust Promotion and Tourism Promotion after the COVID-19 pandemic. It was published in the Journal of Theoretical and Applied Electronic Commerce 
research publication. As mentioned, it was an incredibly well-structured and highly technical report. Yeah, it took me uh, a bit of a while to chew through some of the content in there. But it had some great takeaway points, Kevin. And I'm, I want to revisit some of those points that related specifically to the areas of destination planning and management, which, which are noted as follows. So the first point here is introduce and adapt actionable and harmonized processes and procedures in line with public health and evidence-based risk assessment and full coordination with relevant public and private sector partners. So really the industry just needs to be working effectively together to ensure that that uh, um, you know they they make it through the the mess support companies in the implementation and training of their staff on new protocols both on finance and and training enhance the use of technology for safe seamless and touchless travel an important part of of this this health health and hygiene component provide reliable consistent and easy to access information protocols to the private sector and to travels, travelers. Send SMS short message services to tourists to inform them of their national and local health protocols and relevant health contacts. Point five is create programs and campaigns to incentivize the domestic markets in cooperation with the private sector. It's important that the private sector continues playing a big role in this space. Incentive schemes, possible revisions of holiday dates, transport facilities, vouchers, and, and um, integrate the destinations in these comms. Promote new products and experiences targeted at individuals and small groups of travelers. Great opportunity for, for special interest groups, nature, rural tourism, gastronomy, wine, sports, and that's something that's really prevalent in South Africa. And finally, consider the data and privacy policies when developing tracing apps. And what's really cool is the World Health Organization have developed quite a comprehensive guideline on the use of di digital technologies for, for contract, contact tracing. So what I really appreciate about those points, Kevin, is, is that the relevant industry bodies have made a concerted effort to, to really help and guide businesses within the industry to, to ensure that they do survive and, and that they have, and what they have is, is, is easily accessible to drive recovery again in the industry. We can only but hope. Yeah, and you know, I'm I'm just glad that we can actually have an opportunity to to showcase and share the, in this kind of information, uh, just to just to give it a bit more airtime and and bring it to people's attention. But I mean, uh, what do you have in place for us today, Craig? Okay, so as we mentioned last week, I want to see how companies pivoted during the COVID pandemic, and and um, yeah. Many of them have successfully been able to reposition or redefine their respective product and service offerings. And the reason I, I, I sort of thought of this was I was quite impressed at how Walt Disney Company was able to pivot and overcome the challenges that they faced in their travel destination and cruise businesses, which at, at the height of the COVID pandemic, they were obliterated. And that that really got me to thinking about what other brands were able to repurpose or make slight adjustments to their strategies to ensure that they could position themselves and find other areas of, of growth and new product lines to survive the challenges brought on by the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, because I, you know, I remember when you mentioned Disney, like, because we as, as a, a usual sort of process, we kind of go, ah, you know, Disney, 
is, uh, is quite specific. And yet Disney went and they, they came back and reinvented and, and got onto, you know, the, the, uh, the, the network and the, the movie channel uh, that they sort of providing. So the whole, uh, the whole network that, that it's bursted the, the industry is amazing that they actually could come back like that. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know, the key focus there was in the, in the beach space, their cruises business, the destination business, all the theme parks around the world took a severe hammering. But yeah. sitting on the sideline, you know, the, the, the content business that they had, that they expected to really only reach the levels of penetration in 2024, got fast tracked into, you know, 2021. So I'll share a bit more, more of, about that. So yeah, to, to kick off on, on the topic, I, I really want to, again, set context like we do each week. And this time, just look at what is meant by a business pivot, because this term is, is often misunderstood or generally associated with some major interventions and changes in business structure, positioning of products and services. And I came across two interesting definitions that are worth sharing, Kevin. The first states that a pivot means fundamentally changing the direction of a business when you realize the current products or services aren't meeting the needs of the market. In the instance of Disney, that was quite relevant. The main goal of a pivot is to help a company improve revenue or survive in the market. But the way you pivot your business can make all the difference. The second uh, reference states that even though the term pivot is frequently understood as a drastic business change, it doesn't always entail the change that shakes the business to its core. Rather, it's the process of addressing an important problem or challenge that the company is facing, one that is keeping it from achieving its goals. Therefore, a pivot can mean anything from introducing a new product or service into the business offer through to an entire redefinition of the business and entering in an entirely new industry per se. And it goes without saying, Kevin, that just about every single business across all categories throughout the world have had to make some some hard decisions uh, during this period on what was required to survive the unknown challenge. And uh, from our conversation last week, it's obvious that Disney was definitely be able to understand this and make some of those drastic changes. And Craig, like, you know, especially when you hold the responsibility to the brand as Disney, you know, when you, when you kind of think, okay, so we're going to pivot ever so slightly and we're going to sort of delve into a, an area of business like it's it, <laughs> that's that's bravery uh, but also tremendously brilliant s s strategy really to, to for them to have to you know pivot that way and actually have such success of it what what just you know on the on the disney point what what i really appreciate about disney is is the extent of the value offering they have and i'm going to take you into a bit of detail around that because from the get-go, their business strategy over the last 10, 15 years has been quite superbly tailored to, yeah. to start growing into those other spaces. So let me pick up on that. Brilliant. So, so now that we've got that basic understanding of what Pivot is, it isn't necessarily you know, changing an entire business. It is working with some constituent components and reshaping those. Um, I want to then just quickly provide some background on the Disney companies so that we can understand why they were able to achieve this pivot during the, the height of the COVID. So, Kevin, Disney was founded on the 16th of October, wait for this, 
1923 in Los Angeles, California, by the brothers Walt and Roy O'Disney. Um, and their business then, then was titled, uh, or called, branded Disney Brothers Cartoon Studio. And they eventually uh, rebranded into the Walt Disney Company. And it was really great that they positioned as the world's premier entertainment company, home of the most respect, respected and beloved brands around the globe. And, and, and that statement alone is, is what they've continued to drive their strategy against. So the world's premier entertainment company is not necessarily just around the physical entertainment that you have at the destinations or through the tourism cruises and the likes. They've understood that entertainment is very much around content as well. So again, just to, to, to jump back to some of the, the, the points around the business, with their subsidiaries and affiliates, the Disney Company is a leading diversified international family entertainment and media enterprise that includes Disney parks, experiences and products, Disney media and entertainment distribution, and three content groups, studios, general entertainment and sport, which is focused on developing the product content for, for, for the Disney Company, and finally the theatrical and linear platform. So you can see there's... There's a depth uh, of, of opportunity in their business to really touch on consumers' senses in many, many areas. Um, Adventures by Disney provides group-guided family vacations to the various domestic and international destinations. And that company is a subsidiary of Disney Parks, Experiences and Products Signature Experience Division. And obviously, that Disney Parks is, is, is really where a lot of the pain was also felt during the, the height of the pandemic. So Disney Parks experiences and products really had to carry the brunt. But fortunately, the stories and characters and franchises lived through the content platform. And, and they definitely were able to be the, the, the point where the consumers engaged with those and they, they really were able to then come, come to the fore. Now, interestingly, the, the consumer products, which includes things from toys to apparel, books and video games, etc., etc., also took a loss uh, of, of 31% when the World Health Organization officially declared the pandemic on the 11th of March of 2020, you know, some, some nearly 18 months ago already. And the stock value of Disney dropped from 255,1 billion on February the 9th, 2020, to 177 billion on March the 24th, 2020. That 31% loss in that short five, six week period of time. It's unreal. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's just numbers. It's, it's astronomical. I it just it's it's crazy. But with, with a huge loss over such a short period, how did Disney manage to survive over the past year, Craig? Okay, great, great question, and it talks directly to the point of diversification and the depth of their product offerings. So, without that, they, they definitely would not have been able to to pivot and report. The, the amazing results that they're actually reporting today, you know, almost a year later. So it was specifically on the back of their depth of service offering that existed within the Disney media and entertainment distribution division that they were able to compensate for those huge losses suffered in, in 
parks experiences and, and product uh, division. So here's some figures that, that really emphasize the real value that Disney was able to extract from its media and entertainment division, Kevin. So on March the 11th, as you heard, you know, that's that's really when, when the pain point came to the fore. Disney had a market cap collectively of $201.2 billion, slightly up from the, the $177 billion reported on, on March the 24th, 2020. So in that you know, period of time, we saw a 77% gain to March the 11th, 2021, where their market cap was back above 300 at 357 billion. So they were able to offset the loss in the parks and resorts division by significant unexpected gains from their streaming business, Disney Plus. And um, yeah, Kevin, to, to, to take an entire category loss and fix it and gain just by being able to diversify your business around content and streaming is in itself, you know, an, an, an absolute significant achievement. The Disney Business Plus grew to 95 million subscribers during the year in question and subscriber count that was initially estimated only to be reached in 2024, as I mentioned earlier on. So, yeah, to set some context again there, the Disney Media uh, uh, and entertainment distribution segment, alliance technology, technology, media distribution, and advertising sales into a single business segment to create and deliver various direct-to-consumer streaming services and personalized and entertainment experiences to consumers around the world. Um, and, and it's really nice, yeah, you, you're going to get to understand the value that consumers are able to tap into when I share some of the, the brands on how uh, Disney media and entertainment distribution is structured. So Disney Plus is the home of movies and TV shows from Disney, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, and National Geographic. So when you look at those five collectively, you can just understand the depth of the opportunity around streaming in that regard. Yeah. Then ESPN Plus uh, offers streaming of live sports and ESPN originals. Um, interesting that most of these uh, streaming platforms, whether it's Apple Plus, Netflix, uh, the, the HBOs, the ESPNs, are all moving into production of the originals as well and trying to retain uh, a viewership in their streaming platforms. And again, just you know, picking up on the, on, on the live sports streaming, the stadia were closed. People had to watch from home. So really a big up there. Hula offering TV shows, movies, Hula originals, the premium add-ons, again, as live sport and breaking news. Um, Hotstar, which is a very cleverly positioned an Indian entertainment a channel with, with live cricket. And last but not least, the, the Disney Music Group, which um, is the music recording arm of, of the Disney platform distribution. And as you know, just about every single great Disney show has a great Disney soundtrack. So there's a correlation and a, and a, and a carryover into, into the music space as well. So, Craig, so just to clarify, yeah. um, Hulu, ESPN, and Disney Plus are all within the Disney Media and Entertainment Distribution brand. That's correct, yes. Holy yes. cow. I mean, yeah. I, I, I know Hulu, not in South Africa, but I'm like, we've we we've actually connected to Hulu um, because we wanted to watch a lot of uh, internet TV. And 
uh, and then Disney Plus came out just after that, you know, in the in the last year. So the fact that they own all of that content and they <laughs> and they have that that sort of imprint in, like it's it is it is massive. It's just it's insane. It's insane. That's why you can see ninety five million new subscribers. Yeah. In that that one year period, Kevin, it's it's phenomenal. Yeah. Sure. So yeah, the the reality here is while the business suffered significant loss in their their parks um, experiences and product division, including the the devastating impact and and it really is devastating in the staff that were operating those particular facilities around the world. The business was able to pivot and leverage its other assets, which were perfectly placed, Kevin, to meet the increased demand of the digital engagement during the heart of the pandemic. And again, as I say, you know, if they hadn't had the, the depth and breadth of the connected offering and and were rich in content, believe me, that business would, would not have recovered to the extent that it has. Yeah, no, absolutely. Craig, but you mentioned technology and digital again. So how easy was it for companies to implement technology changes to ensure that they remain relevant and met the growing demands of their clients during this period? Yeah, Kevin, yeah, another another good question. Yeah, we, we speak often in our shows about brands using technology and pivoting particularly to, to e-commerce business models um, during the heart of the pandemic. Um, frequently, that really has been the saving grace for many others. And there's an interesting article I came across, <clears throat> excuse me, titled, The Pandemic Forced Thousands of Businesses to Close, But New Ones Are Launching at Breakneck Speed, really brought home the reality of how quickly some of these businesses were able to change their business models. And again, you see technology as an absolutely credible and integral part of driving those business model, uh, business um, turnarounds. So published by Emily Barone on 22 July 2021 and found on times.com, uh, the company section, we read the following. During the pandemic, even firms as large as Disney had to adapt. Around the time that the company realized the live action Mulan by its Disney Plus streaming service for an extra fee of $30. CEO Bob Chapek explained on all earnings and explained on an earnings call that the pandemic had made the company consider alternate ways of reaching audiences beyond theaters. In fact, there's another great point. Theaters were directly impacted, but content was able to be utilized in a different way. Yeah. Since then, the company has released a number of films in the same fashion. And although theaters have at this point largely reopened, the company is giving audiences the choice to see its July releases, Black Widow and Jungle Cruise on the big screen or at home. It may have been possible for the entertainment juggernaut to bypass theaters before the pandemic, but given the risk of jeopardizing its relationship with the theater chains, there was no urgency for it to try. After theaters closed, though, the company had little to lose in giving direct-to-streaming a whirl and plenty to gain, considering Disney+, Plus, which launched in 2019, is, to quote, a knife fight against rivals like Netflix and HBO. And yeah, one of the biz biggest business shifts was adopting technologies that enable the company to reach employees and customers remotely. And, and they really 
they they made sure that they stayed in contact with their respective uh, uh, employees around the world to keep them in the loop as well. Yeah, it's amazing. It is, it is. Referencing the article again, we learned that in July 2020, a survey of nearly 900 executives from all industries around the world, McKinsey and company found that companies transition to digital solutions far quicker than they had thought possible before the pandemic. And in some cases, what was assumed to take close to two years, Kevin, ended up taking less than a month to implement. The oh. survey found that most of the technology, technological changes were likely to last beyond the pandemic. And when asked why such changes weren't implemented prior to the pandemic, take note of this, more than 50% of the executives said that they actually hadn't been top business priorities, um, which which yeah, quite quite shocking. Yeah. So let me let me share some of those facts for you. The expected verse actual number of days required to implement technology changes following the onset of, of the pandemic are measured as follows. So the, the first point of reference in, in the research was increased remote work or collaboration. 43 times faster to implement the changes. The expected days for implementing any kind of program of that nature, Kevin, was 454 days. The actual days taken to implement such changes was 10.5 days. Phenomenal. Jeez. The second point that the, that the research looked at was increased use of advanced technologies and operations 25 times faster. The expected number of days to implement the use of advanced technologies in the ops was 672 days, almost two years. Actual days, 26.5. The third point was increased use of advanced technologies in business decision-making, 25 times faster as well. Expected number of days, 635. Actual days, 25.4. The fourth point is the increased migration of assets to the cloud, and this surprised me, 24 times faster. Expected duration, 547 days, actual duration, 23.2 days. And what, when I say surprised me is I didn't realize that there is such a lag of the expectation of businesses being cloud ready and operating uh, digitally and virtually really, really surprised me. And the last point here was increasing spend on data security 19 uh, times faster. The expected spend increased decision-making period was 449 days. The out of the pandemic, 23.6 days decisions would be made to increase and advance the spend in, in, in the space. So yeah, that, that was based on, on that July 2020 survey of nearly 900 plus C-level executives and senior managers. And that was across all regions, uh, industries and, and company sizes and function specialities around the world. Kevin, a really great read. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. But uh, Craig, you know, like, you know, my reference is always human intervention. And it just goes to show, you know, like when you, when, when, when it's, when, when it comes down to it, um, we are capable of doing stuff we don't even know we're capable of doing it when we need to. It's just amazing. 
Yeah, that's that's a very good point. And you you know you often you often you often wonder if the necessity of trying to do everything at breakneck speed really is a solution in itself as well, though, because you know, and until we we know we know the pace of which these things need to be rolled out in business and in business as usual. If we didn't know about the leverage of any of those technologies, we'd really be lost as a society. But at least the understanding was in place that the majority of of of, of business leaders had that on their radar. Whilst initially not not at the top of the radar, the the reality is is businesses operating with that in in the view line. You know, we possibly do need to narrow the gauge of the view line and bring some of those things to to the forefront a lot quicker. But um, yeah, when when teams do get together and put the effort in, you're absolutely right. We can surprise ourselves as as a collective bunch. Yeah, I'm just amazed by it. I think it's you know because if that's the capability of of the potential uh, that's sitting right there, you, you know, within an environment or within a business, you you have to kind of sit back and go. Well, if that is the possible potential of this outcome, what else is possible? Yeah. Well, that, that, absolutely. So, uh, another great point to remember in, in, in light of that actually is, is that business innovation is a reflection of the needs of your particular ecosystem. And, you know, some are going to adapt and need to adapt faster than others. But, but yeah. The needs of the particular e ecosystem and the innovation comes from finding solutions to that ecosystem's current pressing issues. And you know, just know what others in, in your industry are doing will help a lot, Kevin. Know what the local community needs are will help a lot. And develop your business to provide those products and services. And by doing so, you can advance that at, at, at breakneck speed as well. But I, I also sp that specific point speaks to the fact that, Craig, you may have an amazing solution that no one needs yet. 100%. So you might be. <laughs> 100%. So, so exactly that. Know what others in your industry are doing. Get to understand what the needs are, particularly yeah. for business industry and your local community. And, yeah, you know, you, your, your, your innovation invention that's, that's lying slightly idle may not necessarily be be the right one to dial up at that particular point in time yeah absolutely yeah. Frank, do you have any other examples of businesses that have pivoted during the height of the pandemic yeah kevin there 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 are many stories gosh i read uh, you know deep into a lot of articles on on the businesses that have successfully pivoted during this unprecedented time and and I want to provide some some of the examples from from a great article really simple easy to read 10 retail companies pivoting or modifying their businesses in response to covid-19 this article was published by Moritz Spannenberg to NetGuru on on the 10th of July 2020 um, 10 businesses covered in the article included local and international brands. It was really great to see some of South Africa's brands in, in, in a global-oriented article. But I just briefly want to look at the, sort of the top four or five brands that were listed. 
Um, in fact, the top five brands listed, interesting enough, the, the, the article started with Woolworths South Africa. And for, for listeners from, from you know, cross-border Woolworths South Africa is a fundamentally different brand to what Woolworths is in Australia and what Woolworths was in, in, in the UK. Um, and great to see the South African brand included in, in, in the list. The other one, which really is, you know, one of my favorite brands on the planet is IKEA. Then Coach, which is an American factory fashion luxury brand, um, Best Buy, an American multinational consumer electronics reseller, and Rag and & Bone, which is an American fashion label, and I, I didn't know them at all. So I want to open with, with a, a lovely statement from, from the article. It says, no one was prepared for what the COVID pandemic has brought upon the world. Social isolation has pushed some companies out of business forcing others to reorganize the way they work in order to stay afloat. Among others, they had to shift their supplier strategies due to social distancing, introduce new and reposition their current products so they correlated with a new lockdown lifestyle and introduced new contactless delivery methods. So, yeah, the, the, ten, the 10 businesses covered in the article all pivoted for some, some reason or another, to meet the changing demands of the consumers, and in most instrument, in, in most instances, the the pivot was predominantly around adopting new technology, new distribution channels, and respectively new products or repositioning their their product offerings. So, just to provide a bit of context to to the top four, Kevin. Starting with, with Woolworths, South African homeware, fashion, and beauty retail chains, Woolies was able to feature an e-com website prior to the pandemic. Um, but as we all know, you know, online shopping in South Africa was much further behind in, in its take-up and trust uh, factor than it was in SA and Europe. And, and Woolworths really dialed that up um, and, and brought that to the fore. And on back of that, launched two changes to their core business model. The first was they started offering groceries in addition to their homeware, beauty, and fashion lines. So essential e-commerce was very much around the, the exclusive product ranges, and they started adding the basic essentials into the e-com proposition. Secondly, they, they really worked hard to make shop, shopping as safe as possible, with uh, the click and collect module, which allowed customers to order items online and pick them up from, from believe it or not, the parking lot without actually needing to go into the store or leave their cars or even to come into contact with, with the uh, particular staff. And their, their key business pivot was new product, new service, new distribution channel. IKEA, which is the Scandinavian chain that owns 38, well, it, it owns stores in 38 countries and employees take, the, take note of this, 211,000 staff. They sell ready to assemble furniture and houseware. Their e-commerce business remained fully operational, even though stores were closed to the public. And their e-commerce platform, which is the cornerstone of their business, went to a lot of effort improving the customer experience experience through the journey line they they really had the advantage of of a lot of lean in from consumers and they were able to amplify that by just really enhancing the the, the consumer journey online kevin as with woolies um they added new services like the contactless delivery uh, click to collect also uh, um introduced to 
go to, to the parking lots and collect and with no, no staff contact either. Their business pivot was the new distribution channel, which was very much the, the click to collect in, in, in car park environments. Coach, the American luxury fashion company, selling bags, footwear, jewelry, eyewear, watches and fragrances. This is really great. They released a comfort focused collection to target their stay at home customers. They extended their return policies by an additional 30 days, both through in-store, for those that were open, and on the website to encourage more people to feel comfortable with the thought of shopping online, which could then be a new experience for some shoppers. And just by enabling them to spend more time with a product, engaging on it, reviewing the the brand back in the web space, they actually ended up selling more products on that basis as well. They also assured their customers that their distribution centers would remain open and they implemented many new safety measures to get the packages safely to their customers. And the one thing that they did, if, if, if I, I stand under correction, is they actually had a proposition where any returned goods would then be sprayed down and packaging would stand for a 24-hour hour period in isolation to ensure its safety when 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 the um, uh, staff and personnel re-engaged with the packaging. Their business pivot was a new distribution channel and product repositioning, as I mentioned, the, the likes of a, a good luxury comfort stay-at-home proposition. And the and the last the last of those four, Kevin, is, is an American multinational Best Buy, as I mentioned, uh, offering consumer electronics, video games, software, mobile phones, and digital cameras. And, and you would expect a business of this nature would understand the need to pivot, particularly in light of the fact that there was a big demand on, on, on digital and technology product and service during this period. So, so as with Woolies and IKEA, Best Buy implemented contactless click and collect curbside service for their online and phone orders. Um, another another service that they, they launched, and, and this is really where they got to understand their proposition, is the technology repair offering using virtual diagnostic and management tools to help people from a distance. Like, like when you have team share and you've got an IT tech support hub accessing your machine and helping you set up and get through some of the software glitches. It was a huge success. And, and considering the number of customers they had working from home and managing homeschooling, you know, their, their brand really benefited from that. Their Best Buy Geek Squad's remote support advertised that the average wait time is only three minutes and each case is resolved in 45 minutes or less. And that in itself is a phenomenal achievement for, for any brand, Kevin. And their business pivot was an entirely new distribution channel. Craig, I mean, if you look, uh, just look at these top four that you've just mentioned and the brands here, you know, each one of them, their business pivots has been a new distribution channel. Um, if you look at, uh, you know, Disney that we, we've been speaking about and look at uh, the successes of, of some of these, these, um, these brands, uh, distribution of a new or a new distribution channel sort of coming up the whole time. Do you think that's there's there's a there's a there's a I don't know uh, an indicator perhaps for for you know what we as brands what brands out there what brands in the world need to be aware of that you know if you your distribution a new distribution channel may not be up and running already or needed right now but if you needed one 
are you ready? Are you considering what that would be? Is that the conversation we should be aware of? Kevin, that's that's a great question, <clears throat> and and really, I think what's what 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 is positive about the outcome of all of this is that any business, and we've we've spoken to a number of startup businesses on this program, and will continue to do so for the rest of the year. The learnings from 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 these larger businesses and medium-sized businesses that have been able to pivot, understanding the new channels and new distribution opportunities is really important for any new business going to market now. They may not necessarily need all of those touch points at this point, as you mentioned, or they may actually need all of them and have never, you know, not necessarily have considered them in their early stages of, of, of business evolution and rollout. So, yeah. so definitely understanding the broadest spectrum of contact in the consumer journey and distribution of product is, is, is absolutely essential. What I find interesting is on, on the back of that question is if, if all of these new distribution channels now became de facto standard and part of the hygiene factors of having a business, particularly in a product and service oriented world where digital can enable so much of that, what, what would the next step of business evolution look like? Because we might not even have thought about that yet. Or is it the distribution channels are now in place, but actually the operational aspects and, and, and the data from AI, machine learning, and all the other aspects are actually going to bring another dynamic on how those distribution channels are accessed, utilized, and, and, and managed through a business. And I, just as a side note, I think, you know, uh, like Renawa creations that we had on here, they specifically work, you know, doing gardens and that's their, that's their, that's their key sort of um, uh, service that they deliver. And yet when the pandemic hits, they immediately moved into, well, what do we know? What, do, what can we do? And they suddenly came up with a, you know, delivering vegetables kind of option for people. So I think, you know, just from me being a, a small brand and brand, smaller brands out there, they're listening to, they might see this as, you know, big brands are doing these things. But I don't think it's, I think it applies to anyone and everyone who owns Correct. a brand is to have that, that additional thought process, uh, that additional conversation, that additional strategy and consideration uh, on, you know, how do you how do you up the game here? And again, the, the great thing about the the example you referenced in our creations is is they pivoted into a space of adding a distribution channel for products that were they weren't necessarily producing at that point in time, but yeah. their background in in horticulture, agriculture, and all of those other uh, uh, components of, of, of that micro-agri sector, they knew that incredibly well. So they could actually start leveraging suppliers for products of that nature, understand the value chain, and then on the back of that, actually start offering that back, back to market. So they, they understood the lateral vertical stretch uh, at least horizontal stretch across their sector in the same way Disney did in the same way all of these other uh, uh, um, references we've, we've just given an example of, yeah. Yeah, great strategy. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I just want to come back back to, to the South African context a little bit, uh, uh, Kevin, and um, there's someone who referenced the article 10 Impressive COVID-19 Business 
model pivots you should all know about. And this was published to the SME, SME South Africa .coza, uh, uh, site on 23rd November 2020. And, and we learned the following. CompuTicket, which is the online ticket seller in South Africa, they had a key focus on, on, on concerts and live events. Um, once the lockdown was announced, they began selling, believe it or not, virtual food vouchers. Um, <laughs> customers could purchase um, ShopRite virtual vouchers at CompuTicket and redeem them at any ShopRite checkers and USAFE supermarkets. CompuTicket sold over 200,000 virtual vouchers valued at over 50 million rand during this period, Kevin. In addition to this, they also launched their live streaming concerts to YouTube. So, so again, they, they understood the components of the value chain that they offer. They had access to this rich content. They were able to go and, and do the deals on the back end and bring virtual concerts to live plugging into the likes of YouTube. So their business pivot was they had a, a you know a really great online business strategy. Yeah. And then the the last one I want to pick up on is is a really interesting one. A, a South African app uh, bottles app. It was the first and largest on demand alcohol delivery app uh, service last in 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 that uh, second year of 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 covid Kevin. In mid-2018, the app was launched and it partnered with Pick and Pay to scale their on-demand alcohol delivery service business. Two years later, when lockdown was announced and, and in anticipation of possible bans in, in alcohol sales, Bottle shifted their business to become an on-demand grocery essentials app to offering same-day contactless delivery of alcohol. Um, their offering extended across 90 of the pick-and-pay stores in, in South Africa and the key metropolitan hubs of Johannesburg, Pretoria, Durban, Cape Town, Bloemfontein. And, and again, you know, they gained 160,000 new app users and 400% and year-on-year growth in orders and a 600% year-on-year growth in sales through the adoption of uh, the bottles at phenomenal success, and and what's really great is, you know, a, a year a year after that in in October 2020, Pick and Pay actually announced that they concluded an agreement to buy the bottles online grocery service and integrate it as part of their broader uh, uh, online shopping offering. And again, their their pivot was was best online uh, business strategy. And Craig, I'm, you know, what a what a what a what an option and what an app because uh, I mean Eugene and I, that's our go-to for. We both work, we're both online, we're both work until six or seven at night, and it's like, okay, cool. What do we need? What do we need now? Uh, do we have alcohol? Do we have food? Do we, what 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 do what does the house need? And it's literally okay. It's saving us time to actually get in the car and go. Uh, so you know, it's it's an amazing app. Uh, it's uh, it's one of the best uh, for me. It's one of the best apps that we have in South Africa. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? It's it's opened a highly competitive market again because yeah. Woolies Woolies have their their uh, branded delivery. You've got on the back of the uh, association of of NetBank and Evo. There's a great delivery proposition there. You've obviously got the pick and pay delivery, and then the the one that is shooting the lights out. and And just I absolutely admire 
the innovation and the business is 60 60 of, of, of ShopRite. And it's just, you know, ShopRite are really leading so much in this country because they actually now are, are testing the cashierless, cashless checkout queues as well. So, you know, we, we hopefully will be able to talk around that and from a retail point of view soon as well, Kevin. A brand that could be doing with some uh, some ideas on this, Craig, uh, and I would recommend perhaps you should give them a shout, is uh, Diskim. Uh, Diskim does not have a delivery service. <laughs> well, they, uh, they have a delivery service, but it de de definitely doesn't work as well as uh, uh, the Pick-A-Babe um, uh, app does. Uh, and I'm like, we, you know, people need medicine. People need stuff at an alarming rate, you know. <laughs> yeah, I think I think one of the challenges in in the pharmacy space is, is probably the the security and brand safety around dispensing of whether it's OTC or you know off off the shelf. There, there's a there's a a longer lead time in a script getting to an environment being reviewed, validation against a doctor script being prepared you know however i think one area where you know the 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 immediacy of of improving delivery times is in every single major mall there's a discam where there's either a shop or a pick and pay or a woolworths and and if there is an opportunity to start piggybacking on on those kinds of of opportunities like uber eats was doing in the early days where you know you could have a parcel delivered to a particular destination plugging into the Uber route. Now you're doubling up on, on empty Uber vehicles who are becoming delivery vehicles when they can't be carrying passengers in, in, in the midst of the pandemic. So, yes, collaboration is an important part of this. And yeah, I'll go and do a little bit of investigation on that. Well, I mean, I, I, for me, and I, and I mentioned this because for me, it's not even a case of uh, having any medicine that, that's, that needs a script. It's a case of getting vitamin C, that stuff that I use all the time, vitamin C, uh, cream, uh, some shampoos and some, well, not that I need it, but uh, body wash. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like like stuff that you just need that that you get a discam you know and then you kind of go okay well you can get everything but you can't get that stuff uh, at discam and discam doesn't allow for it and i i did try their service once and it took seven days to get you oh wow so i was like okay well let's not do that <laughs> oh wow <laughs> okay yeah i'll 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 take a little look at that and see what i can find in that regard Craig, so in our, to end our discussion today, what key points do we have uh, as takeaway for our listeners? Yeah, Kevin, so I, I want to end with, with some references from, from the article, um, Seven Tips for Pivot During the Pandemic. Um, it, it was published to Lendio.com on the 28th of September 2020 by Derek Miller, who's a writer who specializes in entrepreneurship, small business, and digital marketing. And and I just want to open by quoting from, from the first paragraph of, of the article. And it starts by saying, through all the challenges and struggles caused by the coronavirus pandemic, there's been an outpouring of care, creativity, and innovation. Artists have moved their performances and pieces online, wiring audiences and helping them through periods of anxiety and stress. Businesses have found new ways to thrive changing direction by reaching new audiences or offering new products at speeds that would have seemed impossible six months earlier. You can be part of this change. 
if you have reached the crossroads where you need to pivot to survive, know that the challenges you face can help you grow your business and come out the other side stronger than ever. And it's a lovely encapsulation of all of the things that we spoke about today, you know, from from the music to the online groceries to just providing good service through, throughout. So the seven tips I'm going to quickly skim through through for you as the takeaway, Kevin. The first tip is, is see how your target audience has changed. So during this period, we know that you need to conduct first-hand research to understand any audience in, 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 in a moment of change. And, and any data before 2020 is likely to be outdated if your customer's behavior has changed dramatically during the pandemic. And that's inevitably relevant to every single brand. So take time to learn what your customers are doing and what they're feeling during this time. The second point is, is, is look at industry trends and watch key innovators. Thousands of companies are scrambling to make the changes now, and others in your industry are probably pivoting too. You know, look at what they're doing, see if you can follow their lead with products or services or options. And remember that you don't have to reinvent the world because that's what happens with market finds parity even during these moments of, of reinvention. Start with temporary products or services, a great, a great point here. Um, one of the main ways to reduce the risk associated with change is not to make it, is, is, is to make it temporary. Instead of viewing your pivot as, as a dramatic change, um, look at a few of the options across your business and see how you can work within those. Test environments, test how consumers respond to some of that and just narrow gauge the risk and make some of that test, uh, uh, make some of that temporary. Create an innovation budget. This this is vitally important. An innovation budget is used by companies to experiment. Businesses building out their business plans for the future allow some budget for this particular point. Allow the experimentation around new products and ideas, new marketing opportunities, while, while it's meant to be applied to unproven higher risk initiatives. Um, and, and this is a great point here. Uh, Molly St. Louis, which is a creative executive who writes for Entrepreneur Publication, wrote this. An innovation budget pre-designates financial resources for strategy adaptation. It's a lovely phrase. But it does something even more. It is positioned for innovation. You'll embrace change. Sorry, when your company is positioned for innovation, you'll embrace change. That gives you the competitive advantage of forward thinking. Point five is encourage employees to take risks. Pivot your business can in involve subtle changes of your product and service offering, as we spoke about, or think about your core competencies as a business and whether you can leverage your knowledge, technology, or other resources to offer something completely new and innovative. And interestingly, you can possibly even leverage the knowledge, resources, and technologies for other companies to utilize as well. Don't bank on future timelines. Most people through the pandemic would have thought it, it's over by now, but definitely not. You can't look at a specific timeline and plan around it, Kevin. You absolutely need to plan and manage for the immediate future, but not hang on to what those uh, uh, that that yeah you hope it's it's going to change tomorrow. So look ahead, develop contingency plans and backup options, um, and just test and navigate your way through that timeline. 
Know that loyal customers want to support your brand. If you've built up a strong customer base and a large amount of community support over the years, you know where those people are to help you re re rebuild your brand. Your customers will want to continue supporting your business and, and likely be excited about the changes that you made. Um, and to quote from the last paragraph, Kevin, it's important that businesses remember that change is always scary. But most people have faced their fears and then some this year. Instead of waiting for everything to return to normal, take the steps to pivot your business into a better, more resilient normal. Ah, the business into a better, more resilient normal. Yeah, I really like that. <laughs> I love it. And the innovation budget. I'm like, there's, yes. a, there's a thing, you know, a point to remember. Um, you know, because essentially we kind of go, okay, well, now we need to innovate. And you go, but we don't, we don't budget for this. Um, but when you, when it's part of your, your tick box process and you're kind of going, uh, what do I need to start considering? How do I evolve? And it does, it becomes, you, you become more resilient and, and agile to how you set it up. And I, I love it. Craig, um, in wrapping up today's conversation, what are we, uh, looking forward to our next week what's what's happening in the next week yeah we're gonna have that lively conversation i've been promising uh when we're joined by a really special guest who's a well-respected leader of a dynamic and growing public relations and reputation management agency kevin really looking forward to that fantastic yeah my, i i know who it is so i'm excited as well <laughs> guys if you want to check out the lunchtime marketing segments happening every thursday on ebizradio.com at 12 o'clock and all major podcast channels as well. Uh, Craig, thank you for, for joining us and thank you for all the insights. Absolute pleasure. Look forward to the next chat. Absolutely. Chat to you soon. Thanks for now. Thanks, Kevin. Bye.